Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to look in your word. We pray your spirit might have control here, that he might have the uh, glory here in this place, that uh, all that is said might be conforming to your word of truth. And Lord, we do thank you for that word that you have placed before us. We pray for your spirit's illumination, that uh, we might understand it. And Lord, we also pray for his conviction, that we might allow it to penetrate our hearts, our lives. And then, Lord, we understand that it is then incumbent upon us to respond by faith believing to the point of obedience or in faithlessness to ignore or reject it and to be in disobedience. And, Lord, our prayer is that we might be a faithful people prepared to respond to your word. Lord, we pray for this message particularly and the matters that it deals with, that we might not be um, confused in any way about who it is that is the King of kings and Lord of lords, about who it is that will gain and already has gained the final victory. And Lord, that we might in a knowledgeable way this morning, trust in you more than perhaps before hearing this message. We praise in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Danny, can you go back and turn off that machine back there? Up on the, it's up on the cabinet, please. Just hit the off button. We looked last week in this portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 11, beginning verse 14. We saw it introducing uh, something that we've really seen many times before, Christ casting out a demon. And in fact, we have seen Jesus doing it. We have seen the 12 doing it. We have seen the 70 doing it. Uh, we've even had some people apparently going around doing it uh, who weren't authorized or sanctioned. And yet, Christ said, if they're not against us, you know, don't enter. if they could speak, do it in my name, they can't immediately thereafter uh, do error. And so, we find uh, that the casting out of demons has been going on uh, over the course of Christ's ministry. We are now towards the end of his ministry. And he's finally taking some time to instruct us on what is really happening here and uh we're going to investigate that somewhat this morning uh, as Christ taught. He didn't teach extensively on it, but he did teach us something about it. And so we might expect this to be taught early in his ministry when he maybe first did it, but he doesn't do that. He waits until this late time. We are only a, perhaps a week uh, from the Passion Week. Uh, we are very close to the cross, although it's going to take months for us to get there in the Gospel of Luke. Um, we're actually very close chronologically in this text to the cross. And so we would expect, well, why wouldn't he teach this much earlier? But Luke here takes this opportunity to introduce it here uh, that with this one. Now, we all also have other indications that the casting out demons wasn't so easy. And we have that throughout Scripture. And so lest you think that this was just something they did and walked around and just said the word and it happened... Um, we know better than that, or we should know better than that, just from what has been communicated in God's Word. Uh, we see some failing. We see uh, some argumentation going on. that, uh, And there's some deal-making, it almost seems like to us, in the process of casting out demons. We see this kind of activity, and it should uh, indicate to us, it should warn us, it should, it should communicate to us the fact that this is not something that is lightly done. And so when the disciples come back, when the 70 come back and say, wow, we have this kind of authority. Look, at even the demons had to obey us. That was substantial. And we need to recognize that. And But we're going to balance it. And we want to hit a, the balance that, that Jesus Christ introduces here um, in this area of teaching. And so he was casting out a demon. It was a mute one. And uh, that immediately introduces some ideas in our minds. Uh, and so let's take some time to teach a little bit of 
our t- of what Scripture has for us here. What is the indication of demon possession? And let's start right there. What is the indication that there is uh, satanic elements or demonic elements involved in what's going on and what we're seeing? And the fact is, is that there is a wide range of indicators. And so we cannot say, well, this definitively makes someone demon-possessed. We just can't do that. That wide range is from individuals who are totally antisocial to individuals who were very engaged in society and were an integral part of society and everything in between. And so we find that identifying demonic activity maybe isn't quite so easy, which is something also you should expect. Why? Because Satan is the deceiver. He is the one who is like an angel. He is the angel of light, it is described. He goes around. He's not out there being obvious for the most part, but rather very subtle. And so, therefore, we must be attentive to these things on a very uh, different level than just, uh, here's a checklist, and if you can check off five of these ten, you must be demon-possessed. It just isn't in that fashion. And so we have some in Scripture way out here on this fringe. Uh, running around naked in tombs and uh, in graveyards. Uh, wild people uh, that uh, people were afraid of. And they tried to chain him for his own good. He was able to break chains. And we go, whoa, you know, that's, that's pretty obviously superhuman. Uh, no one, five, six men couldn't hold him down. Um, he was able to do that, and we find that extreme, and we often think, well, that's demonic possession for sure. But we also encounter a girl, probably in her teens, early teens, mid-teens, somewhere in there, 12 to 16 probably, who was engaged in a job, who was in society, who had also a demon whose uh, influence and, and uh, work there enabled her to do some divination of telling uh, truths. We, we think of divination sometimes as foretelling the future, but that's really not so much what was being engaged in, but that she was able to tell them information that wasn't normally available to them of what's going on today. And thus, if I knew what, by divination, what my enemy or what my competitor was going to be doing in their business, um, and I knew what they were planning and things like that, kind of corporate espionage kind of thing, then I could conform mine to that. And so this divination, this gal was employed, and she made her masters a lot of money. She was active in the community, and she was readily there. And she would walk around behind uh, Paul and say, Behold, the servants of the Most High God. With obvious un- spiritual insight that that demon provided her. And so we have many things in between. Uh, the connection between physical illness has often been uh, elevated in our day. Let's put it like that. The last... 70 years or so, largely because of the Pentecostal movement, there's been a lot of attempt to connect that there's an asthma demon, that there's a diabetes demon, that there is a demon for every illness. And that really isn't communicating God's word. In fact, if you watch and read very carefully and go through the instances in which demonic activities occurred, you will find limited attachment between that and illness. Uh, in fact, what you will find is that you know, they cast out demons and healed the sick as two separate activities that they were engaged in. Now, on this occasion, we do have a direct correlation of a physical manifestation that is of muteness, the inability to talk, the inability to communicate. We also have, at least on two other occasions, the the, uh, uh, physical manifestation of that demonic possession in the form of seizures, of of this demon throwing this person down in violent seizures that that were often self-harming. 
And so whether you want to call it epilepsy or something along that line. And really outside of those uh, instances, we have a very little information about physical manifestations of demonic possession. And interestingly, that both of those, both the muteness and the seizures, um, have their core in your mind, in your brain. That this is where most of that activity is going on. Yes, there is some physical things. We've seen that in the man with, with overwhelming strength. But again, the likelihood is, is that all people have that kind of strength capacity. Um, you have glands that can be tapped that can enable you to do superhuman things under certain stressful situations. There, that's been well cataloged. Um, and we have adrenal glands, and, and it's certainly possible to tap those. Um, divination, of course, is of another whole sphere where this is the focus is on knowledge and, uh, and knowing things that shouldn't be known or unknowable otherwise. And so we come to this physical manifestation, and uh, once the demon is gone, this individual is able to speak. Uh, this demon was engaging and blocking this person's uh, speech ability. Um, and so uh, once that demon was gone, that aspect of this person's mind and the ability to communicate was opened as manifestation of the, of the demon being exercised. Now, why do I teach all of this? Why, why introduce all of this kind of information to this study? Um, first of all, um, we are not going to engage in this activity of pointing to everything going on in our society as demonic possession. But I also am fearful, and probably more fearful in our country particularly, that we have gone to the other extreme, where there is no demonic possession going on around us at all. There is almost no demonic. We don't acknowledge demonic activity in our culture. That is for the jungle. That is for the place where there are shamans and medicine men. That's for the place where they are, where they're backwards, where, 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 where they're ignorant. That doesn't go on here. We are too enlightened. We're too informed. We're too educated for that kind of activity. And that is the danger that I see in our culture today, in our Christianity, is that we are sure that these things that are going on are simply illnesses. These are things that are, can somehow be explained chemically and that we believe the chemicals are causing this rather than the demonic activity causing the imbalances. And this is where we are in the, on the spectrum of is there demonic activity. We are way out here and we are sure that it's not happening around us at all. And that my dear friends, is more dangerous by far than seeing demons everywhere. Can there be out of balanceness? Yes, of course. And you can go back to the Salem witch trials where there were obviously innocent people and, and, and it was just out of control. Um, obviously, we can go into the Pentecostal movements and some of those where there's demons for everything. Yes, there, there's, a, there, there's some danger here, but not comparable to the idea that we're going to walk through this world and be totally ignorant and fail to see that there's any demonic activity around us at all because we are so enlightened. When the God's Word makes it very clear that this is Satan's territory. This is his realm if you will, that he has many who have of the angelic realm that followed him in rebellion that have become the demons that are active globally. And we would be foolish to think that that is not going on around us immediately. Now, I say that and I want to keep the balance. Uh, when I say demonic activity, I'm not taking, telling you that Satan is everywhere. Please realize that while Satan is present in this world, he is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere all the time. He can be in one place at one time. He is a creature. 
not a creator. But he has many of his hosts. But they also are spatially limited. That is, they can only be in one place at one time. And in fact, this is one of the first things we find from Jesus' instruction of what goes on in this demonic work, uh, or anti-demonic work that we're doing. I hate to say demonic work, because that's what he was accused of last week, remember? An anti-demonic work. And we find in verse 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. And so he actually... There is a physicality there that he leaves that place of residence, that place of dwelling where he had been, and he goes somewhere else. We saw that already when he cast the, the uh, when he went to the wrong side of the sea gallery. Remember, engaged the man there, um, cast legion out, and he went into the swine. They had to go someplace. There is a spatiality to the demonic realm. They are creatures. Limited. But that limitation doesn't mean, oh, they can't ever be in our culture because we're educated. It's not limited by education. Do you think that these people were uneducated? We've encountered one demon-possessed man who was in the synagogue. You see, we're pretty sure that, oh, no demon-possessed person can come into a church. Wrong! Wrong. This is hocus pocus stuff that with, with little gold crosses and, and uh, holy water that you have been inundated with in the demonic realm. That, that, that is, that is mystic, mystic nothingness. What do I want to say? It's, it's fantasy. The reality is, is that Christ goes into a, into a synagogue and there is one in the synagogue demon possessed. So, can they come into churches? Yes. Do they like to? If they have the opportunity to. If they can get into a church where God's Word isn't spoken, where the Spirit isn't active, where there isn't vital prayer going on, sure, they can come in and do horrible things of bringing disunity and and injury to these individuals who are there for spiritual activity, yet if they deny the power or the source of that, then they are patsies for this demonic realm. And so let's clear the board here a little bit of all of this stuff you thought you knew about demons. And let's make sure we understand. They were in the presence of Christ himself. They didn't leave just because Jesus showed up. They were made to leave by the exercise of his authority. And this was done in a forthright manner. In other words, it wasn't a passive work of Christ that just his presence uh, made them uncomfortable and they left. It was an active work of Christ to cast out a demon. And somehow we think, well, if we just penetrate these places and we just show up and pray that there can't be any demons there. Wrong! If that were the case, every event here would never have occurred. Because as soon as Jesus was in the vicinity, the demons would have disappeared. The fact is, he confronted them. And this takes us into a whole other realm that we are very uncomfortable with, let's be honest. We're very uncomfortable with the fact that demons need to be confronted. First of all, we're uncomfortable that anyone around us might have a demon in them. We prefer to call it mental illness. Frankly, that, that's what it boils down to. Now, am I saying every mentally ill person is demon-possessed? No. But I find it fascinating in Scripture how many demon-possessed people were in Israel at this time. Think about it. Let it sink into you a little bit. Where did Jesus go that there weren't demon-possessed people? Where did he go? Everywhere he went. Not only everywhere he went, he sent out 70 people in teams of two, 35 teams going out there, and they encountered demons everywhere they went. There aren't just a handful of these around. 
There are a limited number, of course. But they penetrate society. We're uncomfortable with recognizing that. We're uncomfortable with confronting it. And we are certainly uncomfortable with the rest of what Christ has to say about it. And it speaks a little bit to the powerlessness of our faith. Because we don't believe that there's spiritual warfare going on around us, active warfare, because we are so inundated just in our war against sin, we ignore and neglect or we are powerless against the spiritual warfare in our community. And let that be clearly understood. The expectation is that you are, will be prepared in righteousness to confront demons. That if there you are not righteous in your own life, you will be unable to identify them. You will be powerless against them. And you may even be susceptible to their work. And so, yes, step one, I need to be right with my God. Absolutely. Not just to protect yourself but to enable yourself to be that agent that God intends you to be in the community. An agent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. An agent of deliverance of people who are trapped, not only in their sin, but in the power of the demonic. The spirit is limited. The demon goes... He looks for a place to rest, a place to be, a place, and he can't find any. He says in verse 24, so he says, well, I'm going to go back to the house which I came. Scary thought, isn't it? Here we go. I thought we just got this demon out of this guy. We, 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 we cast him out and now he's safe. No, he's not. Is he orderly? Yes. Is he in his right mind? Yes. Is he dressed? Yes. Is he bathed? Yes. Is he able to speak? Yes. All these things are evidence of the order that was brought into his life, not by getting right with God, but by just getting the demon out of him. Brought a, a, a semblance of order. There was a degree of, of, of peace that was there. Of orderliness. It says that the house was swept clean. It says when he comes back to, to check it out and it was put in order. There's a rationality now in this individual, but rationality doesn't defend against the demonic. Please understand that. You can be in your right mind and still be susceptible to the demonic. Here's a person swept clean. All that old stuff that was in their life when the, when they were demon possessed is gone. They're in their right mind. They're orderly. They, they, they are presentable. They are, they are in society and they're normal. Are they safe? Is that what it takes? Orderliness? Is that what is required to maintain, uh, good defenses against demonic activity? Apparently not. He goes, there is some order, so it's a little more difficult, but it's not impossible. So what does this demon do? Well, things are in order, things are swept clean, so it's a little tougher to take hold of this person. This person doesn't want this activity in his life anymore. So the demon says, I'm going to go get seven others. And now there are eight. Now we have eight. The first one and seven others who are more wicked than him. Now let's stop right there and introduce another little piece of instruction on demons. They are graded. That is, there are hierarchies. They are at different levels, just as our, as the angelic community has different um, uh, authorities, if you will, um, so also in the demonic community. There are some who are more powerful than others. There are some who have more wickedness to them than others. And so they are graded. And so here, in this instruction of Christ, we find this little blurb that tells us that, yes, in fact, there are, there's, a, there's a hierarchy there among even the demons um, that is uh, left over, if you will, from their angelic 
state. So he goes and gets even more powerful ones than himself, more wicked than himself, and they are able to enter and dwell there. So that the man is worse off than he was to begin with. Now, let me share with you a couple of things. First of all, this account is not an excuse to say, well, I don't want to cast out demons because I might make it worse for him later. But it is a careful instruction to say, let's make sure we understand what's going on. When we encounter someone demon-possessed, who might show a manifestation all the way from this craziness, all the way to this divination, uh, uh, soothsayers, brujas, uh, or, which is witches, I'm sorry, I threw that in there. Um, when we have these people who are, who are doozing, and, and we saw this in the garage sale, we, we got that stuff from all over, and, and some of the boxes were full of tarot cards and, and, and uh, all the stuff from the stars and, and astrology and, and all of this, and, and so we had some of that stuff that we threw out, and, um, this, and so it's in my garbage and we, we should have burned it. That would have been more fun. Um, I might still, still my trash. We should have a bonfire tonight after church. That would be fun. I wonder if Pastor Ready would go in for that. We'll see. I'll think about that this afternoon. Um, and so if you think that's not real, that is real and that is demonic. So whatever extreme it is, we come and encounter this person, we confront it. Let's just say that somehow, because you heard Pastor speak on this this morning, and you suddenly decide, prayed and said, God, open my eyes so that I can see this and perceive this and not be blind to this and not be stupid about this, but I want to be, I want to be sensitive and, and, and knowledgeable and I want to address it as I encounter it, and, uh, and you confront that demonicness. And, and uh, i got to tell you, we're afraid to do that because we're non-confrontational. Our society is. We don't confront anybody about anything. Okay? One of the powerful things that we do at the skate park is we confront people. Okay? So we had a, a mom and dad there with their little four-year-old and, and, uh, you could tell they're, they're obviously watching him and they're getting him his little scooter and then his little bicycle and, you know, and the skateboard and, and so they're training him and I start engaging them and, and, um, you know, oh, he's at a skate park every day. Like, this is our fourth one today. I'm like, you're living for the skate park with this four-year-old and this couple. And uh, so I started, and so we, they made a comment about some of the other kids there. How can parents be so irresponsible? And um, <laughs> I was out picking up some trash, and he came over and said something. I said, you know, you made a comment earlier about parents being irresponsible with their kids because of, tattoos and piercings and all that. And I said, but you know, you're being a little irresponsible with your son spiritually. I said, he needs to be in church. And you're more worried about him making sure he gets to skate every day. So we need to be willing to confront. And boy, that, you know, that well, I think I got away with it because he knew I was a pastor by that point. But the fact is, our culture doesn't like to confront anybody about anything. We've been trained not to confront our young people have been trained not to confront anything. Don't confront the homosexual. Don't confront the, the, the politically different. Don't confront this person. Don't confront the sinner. Don't confront anybody. Non-confrontation is the key to a happy society. That is what this new generation has been inundated with from every direction, except for maybe this service, in their life. Don't confront just tolerate. And I just told you what you have to do when you encounter a demon. You have to confront him. There's nothing passive about it. You must confront if you're going to have any influence or any effect there. So Christ confronts them over and over and confronts them. And he confronts them by the authority of the Holy Spirit within him. The same Holy Spirit we claim to have is that which Christ had. The same Holy Spirit and the same authority that the 70 have, we have. The same authority that we read throughout the book of Acts, the same Holy Spirit, same authority, same spirit we have, and we can confront the demonic in the name of Jesus Christ if we are ready. 
let's just say that happens. And we actually confront someone. Wow. That alone is going to be almost miraculous. And let's just take it a step further and say the demonic recognizes the authority that you're coming in with the Holy Spirit and he knows is overmatched. Please get that in your mind. The demon knows he is overmatched. As soon as you come with the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life, and Jesus upon your lips, and God's Word in your mind, he is overmatched and he knows it. Even if he's got seven evil buddies with him, he's overmatched. That's the power of God in us. That is the power of Jesus Christ. That is the power of the resurrection. That is the the power of the truth of God's Word is that every demon is immediately overmatched when confronted with an individual who is walking in the Spirit, who is living in obedience to God's Word. He's overmatched and he knows it. And so he will have to obey you if you're in this condition. And he's gone. Now, we might confuse this. Well, this person's in their right mind. This person's able to speak. This person's getting themselves bathed and dressed. This person's no longer able to tell any of the future or tell any of what's going on. This person lost the divination. This person, and so we say, Hallelujah, praise God. Slap them on the back and put one on my spiritual belt. Notch. Got one. You've done a disservice. Because... Our job is not just to get evil out. It's not our job. My job is not to get evil out of your life. It just isn't. Um, we think it is, and that's the, the, an error that many churches share, is that I'm just, I just gotta get this bad stuff out of my life. I gotta get this bad stuff out of your lives. We gotta get this, this sin out. And we fail because we don't understand that that is not our goal. Our goal is not to get sin out of our life. Our goal is to bring the righteousness of Christ into our life. And if we want to have real victory here in this area, then it's going to require something other than just removing the evil. We have to invest something in its place. And this Jesus is teaching. Listen, if all we're doing is casting out demons... And you, even if you get rational again, even if you get a, a grip on reality and life again, even if you get this order in your life uh, mentally and physically, socially, doesn't mean that you're spiritually protected. What's going to happen? You're susceptible to the same things. So what is required? That the righteousness of Christ is introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This person not only needs to have this demon removed, but they need to be brought into a right relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. They need to receive by faith the message of forgiveness, the message of adoption, the message of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When they have received that, they're equipped. They're not just a empty, orderly house. They are a dwelt-in fortress. And let me ex- share that again. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. You are a fortress. Now, um, this fortress that you possess is not... Um, unassailable. That is, it can be assailable, it can be attacked, but it is fully defendable. That is, that there's no force on earth that can oust Holy Spirit. My wife and I were able, boy, ten years ago almost, to visit Rhodes, Greece. And in Rhodes, Greece, there's a great fortress there. One of the greatest. Never been conquered. It has never been conquered. But it has been taken over. You know why? Because they opened the doors from the inside. They surrendered it. A fortress that had never been conquered was surrendered. 
And brethren, that's how I feel a lot about Christians versus Satan and his horde. We are in an impregnable fortress and we surrender over and over again to Satan and his forces. We talk about where does our sin and error and problems come from. We, and we identify the sources. And we talk about the world. And we talk about the flesh. But we also have that third one, the devil. And by when we use that term, we're not using about just Satan, that he alone, but all of his minions, all of his forces, the demonic. And, and I, I gotta tell you honestly, I focus on the first two. You've heard me teach and teach and teach about the world, the world, the world, the world, and the Bible does. We just got down to first John not so long ago, and the whole focus was love not the world, not the things that are in the world. For no one can love the world and have the love of the Father in him. And so I recognize that that is a very powerful one. I also recognize that, that it is your own self that is a very powerful influence to bring you to sin. And, um, and, and we don't want to underestimate that or limit that. You have a war going on there with your uh, old nature that's dead, powerless, but still there and influential. Um, but there's also that third category that we just don't talk about very much. And that is there's demonic devices that are seeking to bring Christians into surrender mode, and they are winning too often. Because we're blind to it. We don't want to acknowledge it. We want to say, well, that's not true. That's not the happening. Um, we're too sophisticated for that here. Baloney. Yes, we have an a impregnable fortress, that, uh, and we have a, the all-powerful one dwelling within us, but by our own wills, we can surrender to a <laughs> overmatched enemy by opening the doors and letting it in. And so when I encounter Christians and say, oh, I can play with astrology, I can play with this and I can play with that because I know it has no power over me. Why in the world are you opening the doors to your fortress to the enemy when God has given you an impregnable place? Why are you inviting him in? Because we underestimate the enemy. Oh, he can't do anything to me because I'm a Christian. Oh, really? When you open the doors of your mind and your heart, they can do plenty of damage. Plenty of damage. So Christ here says, "It's be sure that you are not just in the business of taking away evil out of your life and, and, and out of others, but that you are placing in it in its place that which we are called to focus in on. Now, I told you there's great danger in this kind of a message because we get the we, we tend to swing way too far one way or the other. And uh, like I said, my, I think our danger is that we are in a place where we aren't sensitive to the demonic around us. But it is very active. But I don't want you leaving here looking for demonic in everything. But rather, I want you to focus your mind on what Scripture tells you to focus your mind attention on. In Philippians tells us this, those things that are true... Those things that are, whatever is noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And this is the requirement for our own guard. We are have this omnipotent force that God has placed in us, Holy Spirit. We are in an impregnable fortress in the Father's hand. No one can loose you. 
Why in the world are you peeking out there? And listening, watching, engaging it. Why? I don't understand. I don't understand being involved in the music that that is obviously drawing people into this. I don't be I don't understand being involved in the activities that are drawing people in. I don't believe I don't understand Christians being involved in the in the chemicals that'll draw you into this. I don't understand it. Why are we opening the door of our fortress for the enemy to come in? Because we don't think the enemy is can harm us. We don't think the enemy exists. God's word says, focus on what is true. Don't be so enthralled by those things. Don't even consider them. Don't dwell on them. Don't meditate there, but meditate on what is pure, lovely, of good report, noble, just, true. Focus our attention there. And then, I believe in that condition, we can have a sensitivity to that which is around us and recognize this is not normal. This is not chemical. This is demonic. And I can confront this by the power of Holy Spirit within me in the name of Jesus Christ. And I can outmatch anything that Satan wants to bring against me. I can outmatch if I'll focus my attention upon my relationship with God, upon my, my, uh, uh, on all those things, that, that truth that He has placed within me, and fill my mind with that, there is nothing of this world, there is nothing of Satan's realm that can stand. Now, before you leave here on some holy war against the demonic, we need to go to Ephesians and find out what we are called to do. And that is to be armed. We are called upon to be armed. And hopefully you know the armor of God. You're familiar with this passage. But I want to just pull out a couple of truths here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Let me just read it. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Okay? We start right there. Where is the power? It is the might of God that we are depending upon. The power of the Lord. We put on the armor of God. Why? So that we can stand against what Satan will throw at us. We are wrestling, it says in verse 12, against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are engaged. There's nothing worse than soldiers that don't know they're engaged in battle. Is there? You know, there's a warfare going around and these guys over there, you know, playing poker. Their guns are sitting there. You know, all the shelters around and they're out there in the middle playing poker while there's a war going on, a battle around them. And that's the way most of our Christians are doing. Over here playing games when there's a war going around. We are engaged in a war. We are wrestling. Whether you know it or not, whether you are alert to it or not, it is happening around you now. Satan would have you think of something else than what we are talking about now. You'd rather you think about these lights, apparently. We'll stop that. There. Isn't that amazing? We must understand that we are currently wrestling. We are currently engaged in combat, hand to hand. So, what do we do? Well, we don't have all of our bulletproof vests laying around, our helmets laying around. We have them on. It says, take up the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand an evil day, having done all to stand. Our command is to hold this ground. What is this ground? We're not talking about our church building, our church property. We're talking about your soul, your heart, your mind, your life. And I cannot read books like Hebrews and James without thinking somewhere in the back that if I 
turn my back on this armor and on God that I can't, that I could open myself up to forces coming in and taking control. We are warned over and over again to beware. So be armed to stand. Gird your waist with truth. Put on righteousness. Shod yourself with the preparation of the gospel of peace and have the shield of faith. Have your helmet of salvation, your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. You are not prepared if this is not reality in your life. If you are here and you don't have salvation, not only are you not prepared to fight it, you're not even prepared to withstand its invasion. Let me say that again. You're not just unprepared to fight evil. You are unprepared to withstand its invasion in your life without salvation. You must receive Christ as your Savior. Fundamental protection. The head. You must have that truth and know it that we might be girded with it. For here, all the rest ties in, whether it be the, the breastplate coming down into it, the, the, the loincloth and all that is below being tied in. And so here's truth girded around my centrals. Guard, not just guarding them, but pulling everything together. My faith is drawn from there. My, my righteousness is drawn from there. The gospel is drawn from there. Everything is drawn from this that girts me, that goes right around my central, and that is the truth. Oh, that we would listen to the truth instead of the lies of the world and of Satan himself. Oh, it won't touch you. The wor- Satan wants you to believe that you're untouchable so that you won't be prepared when he comes with his assault. Oh, that our faith be ready to take on all that is thrown our direction. But I want you to understand, here in this passage, Satan is throwing everything he's got at who? Not at the boys at the skate park. They're easy prey. Doesn't have to do hardly anything. You can give them false promises of power or authority and swept away. He doesn't have to throw everything he's got at the world. Who's he throwing everything against here? You and me. Do you think in those terms? That there is a a, a demonic desire to attack the people of God? That we are engaged in a warfare? That we are wrestling today with this? It's not just on the mission field. Oh, well, actually it is if you understand your workplace is a mission field. But it's not just in third world countries. It's not just in remote places. It's not just in places where where there's uh, ignorance. Um, It is here. It is here. And we need to fight it with prayer, with truth, with faith, with righteousness, with our with the gospel, with the word of God. Oh, that we be engaged in this war. The seventy came back thrilled that the demons had to obey them. This demon and every demon Jesus encounters had to obey him. Men of God walking in the Spirit, demons had to obey them. Seven sons of Sceva uh, <clears throat> got their butts kicked. Because there wasn't a reality in their life that prepared them to have authority over the demonic. And brethren, today's focus isn't on the demonic. Oh, we should know them and recognize them, be able to confront them and, and 
handled them, certainly. But the prerequisite to that is what I'm concerned about today. Are we armored? Are we prepared? Are we even aware that we are engaged already in battle? We must be prepared. Be diligent and train our minds, our hearts in God's word. And shame on us for skipping maneuvers over and over again. For every opportunity we have to gather together to hear God's word taught is another opportunity to add, to strengthen, to prepare myself to be battle ready. Congress was confronted with the idea that, oh, we're not willing to spend a little extra money to fully suit our guys and give them the best protection available on the battlefield. In our Christian warfare that we are engaged in, there is some great protection available, but we don't make use of it. We don't engage it. We're not, we're not interested in putting it on and of improving it and strengthening it. And then we wonder why we are so powerless against the forces of this world. So, brother, in the call today, with a knowledge of what the demonic is and the fact that it is, is to remind ourselves of who God is, what He has given us and what is required of us to engage the enemy that is our enemy. They are engaged. We must be as well. This is a mandate from our Commander-in-Chief, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us and thank you for this truth. And Lord, it is disconcerting for sure. So we would like to believe that The only things we should be concerned about are things we can see, hear, taste, and touch. And yet, Lord, there is a spiritual war around us. And so, Lord, we pray that you might give us a sensitivity to it and a willingness to confront it when it is evidence before us. To do so not in our own strength, or with some magic formula, but do it by the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of righteous lives submitted and meditative upon your truth. Lord, make us such people. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.